on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we get our jingle on. Yes, a showcase of Europe's Christmas markets. We head to the mighty port city of Geneva. Dabble about in Liechtenstein. And we head across the ditch to Oz to explore the brilliance of Bendigo. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard for a fresh edition. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley. How glorious, how triumphant <laughs> to be with you. And Andrew, uh, Christmas Day is just a month away. Have uh, you decked your halls? My halls are not decked, uh, and your premature uh, erections disturb me. <laughs> well, you can blame Europe's Christmas markets for my premature decoration. No, I can't, because you do it every <laughs> single year. It's you, not the markets. But I get to about October and think, oh, Europe will be getting ready for its Christmas markets. I <laughs> use that as a bit of a font for my own festive inspiration. It's like Christmas catnip. The whole idea of Europe's Christmas markets is so cool. <sighs> and for Christmas tragics like Michael, they're a major tourism magnet. Pre-COVID, it is estimated that over 400 million people 400 million people, how sad, visited one of Europe's big Christmas markets in 2019. Yes, for locals and visitors alike, traditions abound, and a market mooch is a surefire way to get you into the Christmas spirit, even if you are a Grinch called Andrew, Mm -hmm. because these markets burst into life about now, the third week of November, and you can get your fill of the markets and actually zip home in time for a Kiwi Christmas if you were really well prepared, but... The good thing about going in late November... (laughs) There's a good thing? There is. The crowds are actually far more manageable in late November than mid-December. Okay, with the crunch on available flights right now, you'd be struggling to bank a last-minute deal. Uh, Maybe this is something to do mm, a year from now. Is Germany still the market thing? The yes. market king. Is it? Is it? It is. The big kahuna. It is the king of Christmas markets. Oh, yes. Um, in Germany alone, there were over 100 million visitors to a German Christmas market in 2019. Now, that exceeds wow. yes. their national population. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. So that's how popular Germany is for your market mooching. I have done Munich's which is superb. That's wrapped around Marienplatz. Lovely. Yes. Now, it's Germany's oldest Christmas market, still going strong since 1310. Yes. Lots of gingerbread treats, lots of Lebkuchen, mm. Glühwein by the truckload, glug, 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 and Bavarian decorations. Now, Nuremberg... <laughs> Interesting place and home to uh, some weird things over the world. Yes. Uh, history. Seen the good and bad of humanity. Yes. Nuremberg's Christmas market claims to be the world's biggest. It's just got hundreds and hundreds of stalls. And as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Frankfurt lays on a very lavish festive spread in the Romaplatz. And all of the merch you will find at any market in Germany is locally made. It's very strictly enforced in a very German sort of way. So Santa doesn't stand a chance of outsourcing his workshop to China when it comes to Germany. Which is very interesting because Mm. Germany is not known as the most cheerful country. No. And they have Christmas decorations. (laughs) We are celebrating. (laughs) At our Christkindl market. So even though the likes of Munchen's main Christmas market has been going, you know, since 1310, Mm. it's not the oldest 
Christmas market in Europe. No. Vienna Calling. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great song. Oh, one of the best. Mm. Um, Falco, wasn't it? No, Vienna Calling was Falco. Oh, okay. The Vienna song was Ultravox. Oh, which one were you trying to sing? What's that? That's the percussion for Ultravox. Ultravox. Thank you. Well, anyway, choose your Viennese music as you wish. Uh, Vienna lays claim to having the oldest European Christmas market. They've been holding a December market since 1294. 1294. Isn't that awesome? Mm. Now, their main market is strung around City Hall, and because it's a city celebrated for its music, not just Falco and Ultravox, but a lot of those classics, you've got... Lots of festive choirs amping up the atmos in between all of the cosy chalets and spicy ciders galore. Now, fun festive fact for you, not that I have many of them, but Vienna is home to the snow globe. They actually, it was invented in Vienna. Yes, and I thought it was Chinese. Yes. Most of them are from Guangzhou nowadays, aren't they? Anyway, so you (laughs) you can get an authentic... Snow Globe in Vienna from Vienna. I also checked out um, a couple of years ago Salzburg's market, which is a cracker, very intimate, their market, and a bit like Vienna, they draw so deeply on all of that classical music um, heritage because for Salzburg, obviously, it's the city of Mozart. And also, fun fact, Mm -hmm. Salzburg is the city that gifted the world the song Silent Night. Indeed it did. Oh. Now, people rave about Prague's Christmas market, too. And you rave about Prague itself, don't you? Oh, Prague is fantastic. The old town square, where it's ringed by little cafes. In the middle of winter, every table has a little luxurious, thick red blanket that you can just put over your knee. It's really, really cool. Anyway. I didn't know you liked Blanky so much, but there you go. The things we learn about Mr. Seppi. I'm like Linus from... from, Peanuts. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yes, Prague's Christmas markets, they are such a dreamy setting with your nice red blankie around you, Old Town Square, and also Wenceslas Square. Oh, Wenceslas. Good, old, good old King Wenceslas. He yes. first looked out. Yes, he did, on the Feast of Stephen. Good old Stephen. <laughs> anyway, they're your settings for Prague's markets and some of the specialties, hand-carved bohemian crystal decorations. Indeed. The marionettes. Did you see the marionettes? Yes, Aren't yes. they amazing? Oh, fantastic. Oh, I think I sort of have a quiet fetish for puppetry after I went to Prague. <laughs> The marionettes. There are many places we could go with that, and we will not. Ah, um, Prague's glue vine, extra good mm-hmm. because they spice it with, um, or spike it yes. with, with so many spices and spirits. I can't say I'm a big fan of the uh, other Czech Christmas pastime, oh. Christmas fish soup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fish soup is not. Yeah. No, um, but it's all of that Baroque architecture of Prague that adds to the picturesque backdrop as you amble around those wonderful wooden huts. Yes, so don't miss the nearby Wenceslas Square, Mm. especially after the Duke of Bohemia, Mm. St. Wenceslas. Yes. Yes, who have, of course, the Christmas Carol that we spoke of before. Yes, do you want to do some more singing for us? No, I do not. The capital of Estonia has become a very popular destination on the market circuit. Yes. See, we even have a market circuit for for Christmas. We do, Uh. to cater to those 400 million people. (laughs) The medieval town square of Tallinn, capital of Estonia, 
I reckon it looks like it was purpose made for a Christmas market. Oh, it is just so gorgeous. Probably designed by someone like you. <laughs> Fun fact about Estonia. Yes. Supposedly, mm-hmm. it was the site of the world's first public Christmas tree, the Market Square in Tallinn. Who knew? Who knew indeed? And apparently that was from the 1400s they decided to erect a tree and say Happy Christmas. I think the coolest Christmas tree in the Southern Hemisphere is the one in the QVB building in Sydney. Yes. It runs right up all three stories. Yes. Yes. If your idea of a Christmas market is one that is accompanied with falling flakes, as Ooh. in snow. Yes. Or, I didn't think you meant <laughs> dishwasher Ken- detergent. Oh, Cadbury. <laughs> uh, Tallinn. Is where to go if you want to increase your chances of having a snowy Christmas market adventure because you're virtually guaranteed to get it there any time from late November. Now, a question the world has been asking for a very long time. <laughs> what about the French? What about the French, Michael? Oh, what about the French? Where do we start? <laughs> Mm. Mm. The Noel markets are very popular across France. Uh, That's generally the name they will give Christmas markets, particularly in places like Paris. But France's self-titled capital of Christmas is Strasbourg and Alsace. Ah, yes. So their market dates back to 1570, which is quite a good effort. 1570. Not as not as good as the Germans. No. Or the Austrians, but not a bad effort for the French. Yes. Strasbourg um, has the oldest Christmas market in France. Uh, lots of lovely handicrafts, mulled wine, traditional bridal cakes. And if you want to switch it up from glugging mulled wine or spiced wine all over Europe, Strasbourg has a point of difference. One of their traditions is spicy hot Orange juice. Right. (laughs) Now, of all the weird things in the world, and this is one of those items that makes me question the people who are crazy about Christmas. Yes. Because there is a mountaintop Christmas market, not for the faint-hearted or the unfit. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. A mountaintop Christmas market. I would mount a mountain for a Christmas market. Yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah. A mate of mine actually went to this market. So what we are referring to is Mount Pilatus, which backdrops Lucerne in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So they have this mountaintop Christmas market. Not only are the Mount Pilatus Christmas markets the highest markets in Europe, <laughs> everyone's looking for their own little nugget, eh? Yeah, their own. oldest, highest, biggest, yeah. widest, deepest, yeah. longest, yeah. stupidest. <laughs> Dearest. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the cool thing about these very high Christmas markets is you have to ride the world's steepest cogwheel railway to get to them. But this is the coolest thing, Andrew. In fact, I think you could get your festive spirit up for this one. Mm -hmm. The added bonus is after you've done your market thing and you want to head back down to Lucerne, you can head down the mountain by sled or snow bike. Wahoo! Yes, and that's a lot of effort to come back home and say, look at the Christmas decorations I bought after my big excursion up a mountain. Yes. Right. So <sighs> what is the best way to string a few of these market hotspots together? I come can, on. I, I can tell I've failed. I have failed to get Andrew's festive. No, 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 I'm there. I'm, oh. I'm decking mm. the halls. Well, an easy way for you to do it, Andrew, would yes. be to just jump on a river cruise yeah. and just potter around a variety of stops. That's yeah. probably the easiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. If that is too pricey, and river cruising can be dear, mm-hmm. what I would do is I would fly into Germany, you know, Frankfurt or Munich, for example, and from there just stitch together some really choice destinations, including Prague and Vienna. 
and of course hopscotch your way around by train. At least you'd agree with me on that. Oh, Training train is the way to go. Oh, I love trains. Very nice. And by the way, health advisory, if you do hopscotch around a variety of markets in Europe, watch the glue vine consumption levels because it doesn't take long to shine red like Rudolph. <laughs> You've been working on that one all week. I put it to the test. Just ahead, we head to the Italian city the locals call La Superba. Plus, we check out the best of Bendigo in Australia. Yes, marvellous. Back at the moment. This is Kiwi Tripsters. We're back. Mike and Andrew, if you think of rock star destinations in Italy, uh, the big hitters, Geneva, doesn't usually spring to mind. But Michael reckons it's totally underrated. Mm. Geneva's local nickname is La Superbia. Or La Superba. Or what is it? La Superba. La Superba. Yes. Great. So how superb is it? <laughs> Superbly good. Oh, lovely. Superbly good. Um, I have been guilty in the past. Of, of lots of things. But yeah, uh, no, no, <laughs> thank you very much. I can't disagree, but yes. Love with this podcast. <laughs> um, I've been one of those sort of people who in the past have just like skipped through Geneva to change trains because they have a very important sort of like junction train station on the Italian rail network. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, Geneva has not previously struck me as a must-see, must-do Italian destination. But this has changed. I gave the city a really good workout last month, and I have to say I was genuinely, seriously impressed. So Geneva really, it's like a grittier, more urban version of Venice because they both share the legacy of being maritime empires of the medieval age mm. and also their bitter rivals. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, I think that's a really true comparison. Gritty Venice is sort of what you can expect because of the architecture. Geneva's major point of difference with Venice is it's a far more vertical city because it's edged by the ocean and slung around the Liguarian Hill. So the city's layout, its setting is just so dramatic. And you are always looking up at just how ornamental the buildings are as they rise up to the sky. Okay. So a good place to sort of kick off your sightseeing is Port Antico, the old port. Yes. It's sort of like the cradle of Geneva's story. It became notoriously scummy uh, until <laughs> Renzo Piano came along. Is that uh, an official, like, notoriously <laughs> scummy? That... Welcome to our notoriously <laughs> scummy old port. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can see that in little brochures. Yeah. <laughs> but it was. It was just a dive. And um, in the mid-1990s, Renzo Piano gave it this gazillion-dollar makeover to commemorate the 500th anniversary of Columbus sailing off to the Americas from that very port. <laughs> it's the location of choice for the locals doing their passeggiata. You oh, would, lovely. You would take a nice evening stroll, a passeggiata, wouldn't you? Oh, you Andrew? can't go past a nice passeggiata. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Renzo designed a feast of new attractions to freshen up the port. So you will see things like the biosphere, which contains an unexpected tropical forest. I really do feel like we're Alice in Wonderland here. This is going to be a little mad hatter coming in. Out of, I know. You know. Darling, let's take a passenger down to the waterfront. Oh, there's an unexpected tropical forest. <laughs> I know. 
Um, he also developed this new city icon called the Bego. I love the Bego. The Bego is like this panoramic lift, but it's quite different. I, I guess he was inspired by the sort of like your, your cranes you would see at a working port, right? And he de- developed this huge spider-like crane contraption, which he calls the Bego. And the Bego shoots you up in the sky <laughs> for a glorious view over the city in the Mediterranean. That's really quite something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it changes it up after you've done your passeggiata. Do you think there were many sort of mind-altering substances consumed when they designed this place? Or I couldn't possibly comment. Anyway, Marco Polo was imprisoned at the port in Palazzo San Giorgio. Yes, a true survivor, this building at the port, uh, because it was built in the 1200s for Geneva's first doge ruler. Uh, and Marco Polo was jailed here after he helped Venice, nasty rival, evil Venice, <laughs> in a war against Geneva. So they locked him up. And while he was incarcerated in this building, that's where he first shared with cellmates and guards his epic tales about travelling to Asia. They were the first to know about it. And, of course, before long, all of Europe knew about it. A lot of things that came out of people's imprisonment, wasn't there? When people are imprisoned, you find out lots. Yes. Unfortunately, that's also where Hitler wrote Mein Kampf. But, you know, you you put people in prison, they start writing things down. Yep. There you go. Uh, So... Heading up on your passageata. Yes, heading up on your passageata. Uh, and to the medieval quarter from the old port, what about the small stone house where another famous world traveller once resided? Yes. Da, 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 da. Who do you think it might be? Uh, let me think. Christopher. Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going back to Christmas, are we? Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Dancer. Prancer. Oh. Well, I don't know if he was those, but yes, no, this is the childhood home of Christopher Columbus. Wasn't a luxurious home, it has to be said. But, I mean, obviously, because it's so old, it dates back to, what, the 1400s. Geneva has gone to huge lengths to preserve this nugget of history. So you can walk in and see where young Christopher lived. As you'd want to. I did. Indeed. I loved it. Now, there's many ancient laneways, tumbling, tangling souls of Geneva. Yes, the Karuji. That's what they call the laneways. Let but, us take a passageata in the Karuji. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> up your Karuji too. <laughs> but it is is—it is like the tangled soul of Geneva, the, the, the brooding heart of the city. And these are like little canyons you go for a wander through, and they're flanked with these six-storey high pastel-hued apartments washing everywhere. And while the alleys are very, very effective as a way of moving people through their neighbourhoods. In places, they are no wider than two metres, so you won't be competing with vehicular traffic in them. But they're just just like, it is high-density living. Probably a star specimen example of why the likes of Geneva got smacked so badly with COVID when it first broke, because, you know, everyone's just living on top of each other. Absolutely. Now, for a major change of scenery, what mm. about all those Renaissance palaces that you can peruse? Oh, yeah. So good. Um, and this is why I think Geneva is definitely worth a visit. I did not know about this, but they have got um, about 40 epic, extravagant Renaissance palaces strung along what they call Strada Nuova and two adjoining streets, so you've got this really cool walking circuit. And it is truly like just perving at the most 
prestigious palace property. A lot of them uh, are cloaked in world heritage protection, and they were very much home to the the who's who of old school Genovese society. Nowadays, most of them are galleries and museums. And as you enter each one of them, it is genuinely like stepping inside a gigantic jewellery box. They are obscenely, absurdly superb. That's a lovely turn of phrase. Thank you. Now, when it comes to sort of, you know, filling your belly in Geneva, yes. uh, Neptune's bounty is on the table, let's yep. face it. And, yep. and the, the street food steaks, fried fish is the runaway favourite. Yeah, I was actually quite intrigued by this. And I know that this isn't a reason to go to Geneva because anyone can get fried fish anywhere, obviously, in New Zealand. But I was just amazed at how much they will eat of it. So as you're walking along, say, for example, in the Koruji, those little laneways, all Mm. the locals are just nibbling away. And it took me a while to work out what it is, but it is just fried fish from the local shop. The signature sit-down dish you've got to try is borida, which is this slow-cooked stew with monkfish, squid, king prawns, mussels, garlic, onion, and tomato. I really, really enjoyed that. And by the way, if you are a fan of pesto, yes. Geneva is the birthplace of the savoury green staple. You will find it everywhere, slathered on everything. Big fan of pesto. Oh, yeah. All right, stay with us. We're off to the sixth smallest country in the world. Where is it? You'll find out shortly. Back in a moment. This is Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew, punching well above its weight. The sixth smallest country in the world is also one of the world's wealthiest. Little Liechtenstein. What on earth lured you to Little Liechtenstein, a postage stamp of a country, Michael? Why were you there? Well, actually, it's interesting you mentioned postage stamps because they have a very nice postage stamp museum. Well, that'll get me there every time. <laughs> My philatelic friends tell me it's very good. I didn't bother going into the postage stamp museum. But according, this is fascinating fun fact material here. Mm. Apparently, if you are a philatelically minded person, yes. if you are a stamp collector, yes. Lichtenstein stamps prized by stamp collectors. I actually have a Lichtenstein stamp. You're somewhere. very, very lucky. I know. Well, it's a very good question. Why the hell did I go there? Yeah. Um, because it is not the heaviest of hitters on the tourist trail. No. Uh, but because I was in Europe last month, I was keen just to tick off another country, just to say, oh, yeah, I've been there. Done that. Done got the that. T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that. So Liechtenstein became country number 105. Oh, lovely. It's a pinprick of a principality. <laughs> Its population's on par with Blenheims. Oh. Blenheim don't have a stamp museum, though. No, they do not. Mm. But it is a mega wealthy country, as you refer to, Andrew. You can smell the effluence in the air, as <laughs> Kath and Kim would say. <laughs> Kim, can you smell the effluence? <laughs> no, it is. It's seriously wealthy. And fun fact of the day, here's another one. We're yeah. overdosing you with these. We are. Lichtenstein is the world's biggest manufacturer of false teeth. Really? Is it? It's Who knew that? Now, it's the capital, Vaduz, is very appealing, mm. very chic, mm. and impeccably clean. There's, we, a, yes. well, there's not a lot of people around, so you'd hope so. <laughs> well, it's cleaner than Blenheim, with the greatest of respect to Marlborough. Yeah. 
there's a whiff of Monte Carlo to the dudes in that, yes, it's just got that very sort of boho chic feel to it. Mm. Very pedestrianised right right in the heart of town. So it's such a great town to have a little stroll about. They've got this parade of art galleries, museums, and tax-free luxury goods stores that you can lap up at your leisure. I have to say it's a very pricey place, this pinprick of a principality. So Blenheim would be cheaper. Oh, uh, Yes. Now, I put this to the test. I used to do the McDonald's test in countries, but that got a bit passe. Yeah, it so now I do the Americano test. Mm. And a bog-standard cup of coffee, Americano, long black, call it what you want, was 14 New Zealand dollars in Vaduz. Well, given our inflation at the moment, it's probably not far before. Anyway, what are we up to here? About six? No, six, seven, yeah. Six with the tailwind. Now, they're very big into cube shaped buildings Mm. inside their parliament, which was built from a million bricks. Now, if you're a fan of Lego, this will intrigue you. Yes. I just looked at the Parliament building thinking, this is like mega Lego. It was so cool. And I've got, yeah, quite a few of these similarly designed cube shaped buildings. Uh, leering down at you, though, wherever you are in little vadoots while you're sipping your $14 Americano, is the cliff-hugging Vadoots Castle, which is the residential home of the princely family, including the Prince of Liechtenstein. Now, this is your classic landmark, 12th century, and it's just full of towers and turrets stabbing at the sky. Lovely. Hmm. Now, you got yourself will be telling off, didn't you, in the treasure chamber? You got a, a bit of a... Yes. Yeah. Yes. A bit of trouble there. Yes. What did you do wrong? Well, what I did do correctly was I did not try and get into the Dutes Castle, because you cannot. It's the residential home. So they don't let people in. And fair enough to and who wants you rummaging around your residential quarters? So, no, no. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. So, so you what, don't want to get into the royal underwear drawer and see what's no. going on in there. So stay out of the castle. Quite right. Right. What did, what did you do wrong? Well, you are allowed to go and see the attrition. What did you do wrong, Michael? <laughs> Stop saying what you, what you didn't do wrong. What got you in trouble? Well, I went to the treasure chamber, which is actually housed within the postage stamp museum. <laughs> and... I didn't know you weren't allowed to take photos. Were there any signs up saying you weren't allowed to take photos? Well, none that I saw. Were there any signs up? But I was probably still recovering from having to pay $14 New Zealand for the My Americana. Anyway, I walked into the treasure chamber, which is quite dimly lit, and you've got all these lovely state trunkets on display. Sounds like an excuse you'd given court. (laughs) The the prize draw within the treasure chamber is the royal coronet, Mm. which is not edible. Some coronets, you think, custard in a pastry. No. This is full of jewels. Get to the point. And I was actually quite full of admiration as I gazed at it enviously. Mm-hmm. And then... What did you do? <laughs> well, I took a wee snap of it thinking that would be nice for the photo album to show the grandkids one day. Seconds later, a minder just appeared <laughs> out of the shadows. I, don't, I have no idea... Where he came from. I actually think he walked out of the wall like a creeping Jesus. And he said to me, what language do you speak? I said, you're right, English. (laughs) (laughs) Delete that photo now. No photo. Delete now. Delete now. Did you delete the photo? Well, I sort of just faffed about on my phone. You didn't delete the photo, did you? Well, I thought I had. Oh, yes. But much to my shock, I got back to the hotel and the Royal Coronet was still 
Dorothea. And that, Your Honour, is my true account. Yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, aside from being assailed by the creeping Jesus out of the wall of the treasure chamber, there are some other very nice things to see. Uh, they've got this apple blossom egg, which was created by Carl Fabergé. Curiously, in the treasure chamber, I noticed uh, the Prince of Liechtenstein has a moon rock from the Apollo 11 mission. As one does. Yes. Every good home should have one, I thought. President Nixon gave this rock to Liechtenstein in gratitude for the work that a local vacuum technology company did. Apparently, they provided some really important components for the mm-hmm. lunar landing. So they, got, they sure? got a rock. From Nixon. So I'm just wondering, I wonder if how authentic the rock is. Maybe it's just one of the reproductions he had stored in a drawer at the Watergate Hotel. Anyway, so this, uh, they're very big into wine production in this area, oh, which yes. would have thrilled you no end. Yes. Rising up uh, the hillside from downtown Vaduz, uh, you can just see all these vineyards sort of thickly stitched into the slopes surrounding the city. And the immediate neighbourhood above Downtown Vaduz is called Mitteldorf, which is just fairy tale gorgeous. Lots of cobblestone lanes, 600-year-old houses. Really, really nice place to go for a stroll. They have been producing wine in Vaduz for nearly 2,000 years, thanks to the Romans. And then I think the Christian monks came along and... Had their say and yeah, bottled a few... They did. ...fine vintages. They did. Climate-wise, I thought this was interesting. Their wine in Vaduz is not dissimilar to the Gibston Valley, okay, central Otago, because Pinot Noir is yes. one of their signature varieties. And, yeah, it's because the, the climate is actually really similar. Mm. Um, the place to go, the Prince of Liechtenstein Winery. You can take a wander through his vines, sample excellent wines, as I say, the Pinot. Mm. Superb. I'm not a Shardy fan. No. Or a Cardinet. I was going to say Cardinet. Cardinet. Yeah, yeah. Smell the effluence. With a yeah, Chardonnay. Um, the Chardonnay, though, from the dudes is very highly regarded too. Now, as you know, I'm quite a big fan of structures. Yes. Um, I like a good structure. Oh, I do. Too. Oh, indeed. Yes, yes. 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 And the old good rock. For a, good for a passeggiata. <laughs> a good structure. The old Rhine Bridge is a bit of a rock star in this area, too. Yes. Follow your nose to the old Rhine Bridge. It's just out of um, downtown Vaduz. And this gnarly wooden roofed construction vaults you across the Upper Rhine River, connecting Liechtenstein with Switzerland. So when you get across... <laughs> I'm trying to get into the local groove with the accents. I'm sorry if I caused any offence. Yes. But when you get sort of like about halfway across this wonderful roofed bridge, which and, in itself is quite unusual. And how many rugby fields are we are we going to talk about here? Oh, yes, actually, I did... Do a bit of a count. Yes. Was it two? Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, when you get across about halfway, you can plant one foot in Switzerland while your other foot's in Little Liechtenstein. Isn't that cute? Oh, isn't that? Isn't that a reason to go to this pinprick of a principality? (laughs) And if you are tight on time, it's actually entirely possible to tick off the sights of of Vaduz in a day. Yes. It's just a two-hour train ride from Zurich or from the Austrian side of Lake Constance, which we spoke of a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Yes. So whether you are day-tripping or overnighting, the one last piece of advice I'd give is do not leave Vaduz without devouring their favourite dessert, Kaiserschmarm. Now, this is a big, fat, sweet, fluffy pancake made with rum-soaked raisins 
and then you just rip it apart into bite-sized pieces. Sometimes they do that for you and you don't argue with them if they do. And it's caramelised and then served with apple sauce and a nice plum compote. Sounds very Christmassy. Maybe that's why I liked it. Yes. Yes, pennies dropped. Right, don't disappear. We're a bit closer to home soon. Bendigo in Australia, very shortly. Back in a mo, mate. This is Kiwi Tripsters. You're back on deck with Mike and Andrew, closer to home across the ditch. Let's head to Australia and the heritage city of Bendigo, about 90 minutes from Melbourne. Love Melbourne, great city. Bendigo, believe it or not, was once rated as the richest city in the world. Who knew? Who knew? So when you head into the historic heart of the city, you will notice that Bendigo is just this very strollable treasure chest of glorious architecture. And you can actually notice a whiff of sulphur wafting from around Bendigo Creek. Mm, a bit like your own little Rotorua. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Mm. Uh, apparently this whiff of sulphur is a residual calling card of the city's gold mining legacy and the rising groundwater. That's what has caused this sulfurous smell. Very nice. Yeah. Now, more than 5,000 registered mines formed the goldfield. 5,000 shafts were sunk which sounds like a heck of a weekend. With the largest concentration of deep shafts anywhere in the world, in dollar terms... Today? Yes. Over $30 billion of gold was extracted in the century of gold mining that petered out in the 1950s. Yeah. That's why Bendigo was the Mm. richest city in the world. Yeah. Its peak would have been probably late 1870s from recollection. Yeah. So that's when it earned that title of uh, being so rich. But yeah, by the 1870s, the tin town of Bendigo had turned into this grand gold city of architectural bling. Governments, banks and miners, they just ploughed their riches back into the town. And a lot of the architects were given free range to just basically flaunt their flamboyance in sandstone, bluestone and granite. And that is its abiding legacy today. All of that sumptuous architecture in stone. Absolutely. And the Maya, the department store, started in Bendigo, as yeah. you'd expect with so much money around. <clears throat> yes, true. Sydney Maya. I didn't realise... Maya was actually an individual, but I suppose it would have to be, wouldn't it? Really? Like Valentine. David Jones or... Oh, yeah. 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 But yeah, Sidney Maya, um, he was the founder of the department store. He started off in Bendigo with a street cart after he founded his emporium, and he would take this cart, you know, door-to-door through Bendigo. That's how the whole Maya empire began. The former post office that you see there today is now home to the Bendigo Visitor Centre. I just love this building. This could be my favourite Bendigo building. It's French Renaissance style. Oh, very cool. So you got lots of sculpted lions and gargoyles. I do like a good gargoyle. You do like a good gargoyle. Yes. Designed to be ogled from all angles. Indeed, aren't we all? Um, <laughs> another great great structure is the clock tower which houses Bendigo's version of Big Ben. When you say Big Ben, yes. what are you speaking of here? The bell? Or the, the bells. Clock? The bells. I hear the bells, Andrew. Because people call the clock tower in London Big yes. Ben and it has irritated me like, forever. Yes, and they think of the clock face. Yes. Uh, one o'clock, two o'clock. No, that's not Big Ben, is it? No, Big Ben is, is, the, the, bell. is the 13.7 ton bell yes. that sits in the North Tower, which is now Queen Elizabeth <laughs> Tower in oh Westminster. Anyway. Too much information. The acclaimed (laughs) opera singer Dame Nellie Melba was staying across the road at Hotel Shamrock. 
Yeah. The shimming of the bowels every 15 minutes kept her awake. So in a bid to allow the complaining diva to rest, the chimes in Bendigo fell silent. Yes. And ever since, the bells stopped ringing at 11pm. What a diva to complain about the bells. I mean, they liked their bells just because she was visiting. Yes, she's famous, but what a prima donna. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yes, she's actually left her mark because they've never rung again after 11 o'clock. I think that's quite funny. Anyway, the bells may have been put on a short leash, but Bendigo has talking trams. I do like a talking tram, Andrew. Now, this is a <laughs> <laughs> this is a great way to actually get amongst the whole Bendigo scene. It will rip you around town on a vintage talking tram, and your tram yes. will regale you with all sorts of entertaining stories about the city's dramatic rise on the back of the world's richest goldfields. It's hop-on, hop-off style. Oh, cool. So, yeah, you can you know get off where you want to check out Bendigo's finest features. Okay. It's a Bendigo must. Yes. Now, did you check out any of the gold mines, any of the 5,000 shafts? Oh, I took a tour down into the depths of the earth at the Central Deborah Gold Mine. A lucky Deborah. Yeah. They've got some huge shafts <laughs> and a variety of tours, including the Nine Levels of Darkness. What? Yes. The Nine Levels of Darkness. Yes. Is this a sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey? Boom, 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 boom. Yes. This is Australia. What? <laughs> <laughs> so this is Australia's deepest underground mining tour, and it did feel deep and dark. Yes. And rather dirty. And I was also damn cold. Yeah, it yeah. would have been. So they do give you overalls. You get a nice hard hat and a miner's lamp to keep you illuminated so you can try and see something in the very harsh conditions and all of that damp coldness, and you make your way through some tunnels. But I tell you what, it was the silence, the monastic um, silence underground that just blew me away. And you go down, what, 228 metres? Yeah, so that's mm. what, over two rugby field lengths and more. <laughs> Back to the rugby fields. I always use it as my little I marker. Know, I know. Are you as long as a rugby field, I say to them? What have they done with Sandhurst Jail? This is another huge highlight in Bendigo. Uh, Ulambara Theatre. It's been ingeniously integrated with the former Sandhurst Jail. And during the reconstruction project a few years ago, the workers doing it discovered a secret underground tunnel that was once used to transport prisoners. Hey? Yeah. Cool. Um, several inmates were hanged for murder within this austere Victorian-style prison. It was only decommissioned in 2006. Shivers. Yeah. So you've got a huge amount of Atmos still there in this repurposed jail-come-theatre. Tell you the thing you want to do, take a walk along the corridor right through one of the main wings of this archaic prison and it's flanked by dozens of austere cells that oh. have just been left as they were. Nice. It just feels haunted. It's just incredible. Wow. Um, and that is how you enter Ulumbara Theatre. Isn't that just extraordinary? Wow. So the sound of your footsteps reverberating through that wing. It's like one of the old movies, the yeah, jail yeah. movies, where... Totes. Yeah, totes. It's just awesome. Did you just say totes? I did, I'm sorry. Many, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be 22. Oh. <laughs> oh, the age or the year. <laughs> Many original elements of the prison remain, including the jail gallows, a trapped doored platform 
between the two walkways and the upper tier. So mm. you'd stand on the platform and have the rope around your neck and then yep. the platform would just go. Yeah. And so would your neck. Yeah. The box office is very close to where the inmates were executed. So if you do like a bit of a haunted, chilling experience, fine. If you're, if you're a bit on the light side, then maybe not for you. Mm. Uh, also, the people that were executed were buried on site, upright too, so their souls would never rest. How mm. macabre. For a change of mood, <laughs> let's look at some pottery. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> Bendigo pottery is oh, yes. worth a look. Yes, definitely. Now, look, I'm not big into pottery, I have to admit. Yeah, I know it's... we have some lovely potters <laughs> doing great work with ceramics around New Zealand. Tamuka pottery, south of Christchurch, I think, had a very strong reputation for its works. But anyway. Westport also has some lovely yes, pottery going on. they do. I must admit, not my first... Choice, no, but all no, pa- power to you. If it floats your boat, Australia's oldest working pottery is in Bendigo, Bendigo Pottery. It was first established in the 1850s by a Scottish settler, and there's a great backstory to this. So this is the guy called George Guthrie, right? He went to Australia, lured by the Victorian gold rush, and he struck the jackpot not in gold but clay because he stumbled upon a clay deposit ideally suited for ceramics production, transforming his lucky find into a business that rivaled the grand potteries of 19th century England. Nice. Um, And a revival of the Bendigo pottery was unleashed in the 1970s, so it's still going gangbusters today. Now, with their pottery, they've got massive wood-fired kilns there as well. I love anything of architectural merit. Yes. I'll tell you what, even if you're not into pottery, go there to see these kilns. They are heritage listed. They are just so massive, dome-shaped. I'll tell you what, they are actually quite similar. They're like a miniature version of Rome's Pantheon. And I know that will sound really weird to you, but the design of them, the shape of them, is so similar, complete with a sky-opening oculus. The whole pottery just hums with activity, beautiful ceramic tableware, decorative art, and, of course, you can snap it up at factory prices there. Absolutely. At factory prices, open till midnight, don't miss out, one time only. Never to be repeated. As you <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go, thanks to our friends at Lonely Planet, the fantastic Lonely Planet, the creme de la creme of travel books. We have our weekly guidebook giveaway, Lonely Planets Eat Italy. Very nice. Read this. Wow. To begin to win, give us the answer to this. La Superba is the nickname for which Italian city? I've got a feeling we talked about this on this episode. We may have mentioned it along with a lot of other things that Mm. probably are irrelevant. Yes. But La Superba is the nickname for which Italian city? Yes. To begin to win, send us a message with the answer. Name that Italian city. Who is La Superba? And uh, send us the message on the Kiwi Tripsters Facebook page. We will randomly choose a winner and notify you directly. You've got to be into win. Good luck. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks for joining us on Kiwi Tripsters. And be sure to like our Facebook page. You can see our show notes. They're on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. The articles on the topics we have chatted about, like Europe's Christmas markets, oh, that's a must read. Oh, it is. Andrew will be diving into that the moment we finish up. I will. The other articles, including the city that we refer to as La Superba. Oh, you're not going to give that away. I nearly actually helped you out far too much, didn't I? And Bendigo. Oh, yes, and Bendigo. Yes, that article is also on our companion website 
for the love of travel.nz. But of course, at this time of year, compulsory reading is the European Christmas Market article. Uh, yes, that's for the love of travel.nz. We'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast platform of your choice. And there are many, many choices. Feel free to be frank, abrupt, assertive uh, with your feedback. Even though it is the season where one is meant to be somewhat festive, uh-huh. uh, keep it festive with your feedback, but keep it frank as well. <laughs> frank and festive. <laughs> And if you've managed to stay with us throughout this episode, good on you, because we've gone to some very, 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 very weird tangential places. We hope to catch you again next week for a very fresh episode when we set the scene on summer. We've been down some very deep shafts (laughs) on this episode. Summer in the south next week. uh, Yeah. Enjoy your passageata. Yeah. Nice. We'll see you soon. Aroot. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. 